I am Dr. Robin Roth. And I'm Dr. Adrian Rosenthal. Together, we are the Booby Docs, our Instagram account where we talk about breast health in an approachable and educational way. We are both fellowship-trained breast radiologists who have been best friends since day one of med school. We work together, we mom together, and now we podcast together. This is The Booby Docs, the girlfriend's guide to breast cancer, breast health, and beyond. In this podcast, we attempt to bridge the gap between doctor and patient while having some fun along the way, all in around 30 minutes or less. So without further ado, let's be breasties. This podcast is not intended for medical advice. Please contact your doctor with any symptoms or concerns that you may be having. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode five of the Booby Docs podcast. We hope you had a happy Thanksgiving and a happy Hanukkah, if that's your thing. So we realized that we skipped uh, an episode, a very crucial episode, which was talking about our actual field of breast radiology and what it is we do, which is kind of ironic because we're the first doctors that a lot of people who are diagnosed with breast cancer end up seeing. That's right. And so to make the conversation a little bit more interesting, we invited our dear friend, Dr. Carly Poole, onto the episode. Carly is a breast and pediatric radiologist out in Los Angeles. We are so happy that she's joining us today. So Carly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited and honored to be on your podcast. We are honored to have you. So Carly and I met the first month of college. We both went to Barnard College. We were both pre-med. Um, we met in calculus class. Do you remember Trolls Jorgen? Was that his name? Oh my gosh, I loved that class. I did too. But you came up to me right after the class and you said, I bet you you're not good at math and science. <laughs> You'll never live that down. I always give you heck for it. <laughs> well, at first I was like, who is this girl? And then I was like, wait a second. I think I kind of like her, her approach. You're very honest. You're very like, you're, you're all business. You, you're just, you're an amazing friend, a loyal friend, but you also just like tell it how you see it, which is actually a very good skill for a radiologist to have. We tell it like we see it. Exactly. Exactly. We, the three of us have been to the Society of Breast Imaging together. You were both my bridesmaids. We've got history. Um, so, so we're really using this episode to talk about breast radiology and how we approach it on a day-to-day -day basis and what we're all about. So let's begin with that. Most people don't know what a radiologist is, so I hope you walk away from this episode learning what a radiologist is and does. Well, people definitely don't think we went to med school. I, I definitely, I don't think they think we're doctors. Definitely not. But we all went to med school. Then we all did residency for a long time and then fellowship for a long time. And I'm going to insert a shameless plug for our breast fellowship. Obviously. You no, know, because who wouldn't want to train with us? We're a lot of fun to train we with. Are. So I'm the fellowship director, and we're actually currently interviewing for the 23-24 season. So there will be free lunch on a routine <laughs> basis. What's interesting, a lot of people um, tend to confuse the breast radiologist with the breast technologist, mm -hmm. and both are actually fundamental team players in the radiology department. The technologist takes the pictures mm -hmm. and then presents it to the radiologist and then the radiologist interprets the pictures and determines what additional pictures need to um, be taken or if any additional imaging studies need to be performed. Yeah. So that's the that's really a big difference that we just wanted to iron out from the get-go. No, I think that's a great point. 
And not all radiologists can be breast radiologists. You can't wake up tomorrow and decide that you want to change your subspecialty into breast radiology. So um, breast radiologists have to interpret 960 mammograms every two years in order to maintain their, M their certification. And this is set forth by MQSA, which is the Mammography Quality Standards Act of 92. And basically, that set forth minimum standards for radiologists, technologists, facilities, and this ensures that quality is acceptable at all uh, breast imaging facilities. So Carly, tell us more about what a typical day looks like for a breast radiologist and a little bit more about what role we play in, in the breast cancer team. I see about 20 patients a day, and some of that is procedural where I'll do biopsies just like you guys, or I'll do something called diagnostic imaging just like you guys where we're focusing on a problem that a patient has based off of her screening mammogram. So all day we're talking to patients, I'm sure it's the same with you guys, or doing procedures. So it's very much an interesting field that we all probably chose for those reasons. It's academic, it's you know great because we get to see patients and it includes technology. It's also we're getting in there in the beginning where we can help women diagnose cancer early, right? So. It's, I mean, I, I love it. And the, the, my favorite part of the day is actually being with the patients. It is, I think, really rewarding to be able to be part of that team and also to kind of collaborate and get that team going for the patient at the time where they need it the most. Because we really hit the ground running yeah. once you have a diagnosis of, of anything abnormal, but in particular, once we have right. a diagnosis of breast cancer. So one of the questions that we get asked most commonly is, when should I start screening mammography and how often? Um, so Carly, what do you tell people? This should be a simple question, but it's not. Me, personally, I tell them 40 every year. You know, you know what is the downside? So people say the downside is it costs society a lot of money. Okay. And people say the downside is it causes anxiety in women because we call them back or we have to do a biopsy. Well, I think the data and the numbers speak, speak volumes. The data and the numbers show that starting at age 40 in the average risk patient and doing it every year saves the most lives, decreases morbidity and mortality. Well, it's not only about anxiety. It's like, at what point, how many lives do you want to save? And that's the question. And then the side effect is anxiety and money and cost to society. I just think that if someone's going to ask me personally, you know, it's going to be, well, 40 every year because it will, even if it saved one out of 100,000 lives, you know, I just, how can I say no to somebody if I would tell my mom and sister to do that? And if you're the one person who gets diagnosed with breast cancer, then it was the right decision for you. Uh, you know, a lot of the, them talk about, you know, the anxiety that comes with a, a biopsy that they have to go through that is not cancer. And, you know, I wanted to talk about, a little bit about biopsies because, you know, biopsies, they're minimally invasive. We do everything through the skin under imaging guidance. We're able to, you know, we give numbing medicine, we take tissue and we send it to the lab. We get results three days later, three days later. So it's, you know, it is a minimal, minimally invasive procedure and you get the answer quickly. And, you know, most people, let's say it's not cancer. They, they get that result and they move on with their lives. You know, some people hold on to that and it was traumatic for them. And I'm not trying to minimize that, but for the most part, most patients tolerate breast biopsies fairly well across the board. And I've never had a woman 
be disappointed that their biopsy was negative. You know, like that's, it, you just got to get through the negative biopsies to get to the cancers. It's the cost of doing business. We know it. Patients know it. It's just, it, it's in every, it's in every field. You're always going to have biopsies that are not cancer. I don't know. It's always seems like a little off-putting to me that there's so much focus on anxiety. It seems somehow like, like it's never really talked about for prostate biopsies or other biopsies that are less female driven. There was a, there was a really good um, uh, op-ed piece in the Washington Post many years ago, but it said, don't you worry your pretty little head about breast cancer. Like, like women can handle it. You know, it's a very paternalistic thing to say that women can't handle a false negative biopsy. I rarely have a patient who's like, that is painful. Usually they walk out of the room saying, oh, I'm so surprised, right? Like, we're listening to music, we're talking about their kids, we're like talking about soccer practice. They're not even realizing that I'm doing a breast biopsy. I mean, I think it's changed from even 10 years ago. The devices are better, you know, our techniques are better. So going back to the, like, when to start mammography, there are conflicting recommendations. So like I said, the American College of Radiology says 40 every year. The most extreme opposite side is the U.S. Preventative Task Force, which says 50 every two years and stopping at age 74, which literally makes no sense to me. And I just wanted to take a minute to talk about breast cancer in young women. You know, so unfortunately, about 5% of women will be diagnosed with breast cancer before the age of 40. And many of those people won't have any known genetic risk factors or family history. You know, and this is why we support things like the self-breast exam, even though that is also controversial because the American Cancer Society recommends against self-breast exam. But if you're, God forbid, you're a 30-year-old walking around with breast cancer and you don't know that you have a strong family history and you don't know about your risk factors, there's no other way to detect it other than you feeling you feeling it or your doctor feeling it. So a good rule of thumb that I like to tell people is start at age 40 for average risk women or 10 years before your first degree relative that was diagnosed with breast cancer. So if your mom was diagnosed at 45, you would start annual mammography at age 35. SBI actually recommends all women, especially black women and those of Ashkenazi Jewish descent should be evaluated for breast cancer risk no later than age 30. And that may mean seeing a geneticist or following up with your primary care doctor to assess for your risk of getting breast cancer. Yeah, and really the goal is to identify women who need to start um, breast cancer screening earlier and may benefit from supplemental screening such as ultrasound or MRI. So for anyone who's listening, you could actually run your own personal lifetime risk of breast cancer. Um, the, the tool I usually recommend is the Tyra Kruzik model. Um, you could Google Tyra Kruzik calculator, T-Y-R-E-R-C-U-Z-I-C-K uh, calculator. And that will ask, that will let you plug in things like when was your first period? How many children do you have? How old were you when you had your first baby? Things like that and help you determine your lifetime risk of breast cancer. So, you know, it's a good tool. And if it's high or if it's intermediate, you know, you could always go see a genetic counselor and talk about it or talk about it with your primary care doctor. And there's certain organizations we have to give a couple shout outs like Sharsheret mm -hmm. and JScreen that, that can help you um, with getting your risk assessment under control. So mm -hmm. so that's when we start. When do we stop? When do we stop? Oh my gosh. Do we stop? 
I don't know. Do we stop? Well, some some societies recommend stopping at age 74. Seems young to me because my grandmother's 101 on one side and my other grandma's on 97 on the other side. Right. So it, it doesn't seem to be a high enough age for us. The recommendation of stopping at age 74 is actually bonkers to me because breast cancer becomes more common as you get older. So... Um, you know, lots of women will be diagnosed in their breast cancers in their 70s, 80s, even 90s, and go on to still live, you know, fulfilling and active lifestyles. So actually, the American College of Radiology says that women should continue annual screening mammography as long as they are in good health and desire to be so. You know I got to bring up Grandma Lena. I mean, I mean gra- my grandma on my dad's side was diagnosed with breast cancer twice in the 80s kind of left her alone for a couple decades. And then in her early 90s, she was diagnosed with a third breast cancer. She had a, a simple lumpectomy, no chemotherapy, no radiation, but it it was effective. And then she had another recurrence as, as most recently as last, this past summer, actually. Yeah. And we took her to Jefferson. She had something called cryotherapy, which is where they freeze the tumor and kill it that way. And she's taking care of my 101-year-old grandpa now. So it's a beautiful example of how um, you can effectively get screened for breast cancer and do something about it well after you're the age of 74. So that's, that really, we don't like the USPSTF (laughs) recommendations. We are blatantly against it. Um, If there's something that you can do to treat your breast cancer, then you should be getting a mammogram. So we've covered a lot, um, but I, I do find Breast density is something that a lot of people have questions about, so I think this is a great opportunity to cover it. Yeah, and actually now 38 states have breast density notification laws. So now, in addition to your mammogram report, you also get a letter uh, informing you of the risk related to dense breast tissue. So because of that, we're getting lots more questions related to breast density. Breasts are composed of fat and fibroglandular tissue, and the more fibroglandular tissue you have, the harder it is to see breast cancers. And also it's an independent risk factor for having breast cancer or for developing breast cancer. And about 50% of the population is considered dense um, where they have heterogeneously or extremely dense breast tissue. And really those are the patients um, that would benefit from supplemental breast screening like ultrasound or MRI if they're a high risk. I mean, studies have shown that mammography can miss up to as many as 50% of breast cancers in patients with dense breasts. I know that can be a really scary number. Um, you know, I say that with a grain of salt because it really inter- depends on who's interpreting your mammogram and things like that. But certainly the sensitivity mammography is not as high in women with dense breast tissue. Um, when you add on supplemental ultrasound or MRI to mammography in patients with dense breast tissue, that increases our sensitivity to 95 to 100%. So that really helps you ensure that we're not missing anything. So this is actually one of my colleagues' favorite points, actually, Dr. Alana Den. There's, there are two reasons why a woman who has increased breast density is at increased risk for getting breast cancer. And it's because of us, because we're not as good as seeing those cancers on the mammogram. So the example I always give someone is, imagine you know, seeing a snowball on your lawn and then trying to see a snowball in a snowstorm or like a snowflake in a snowstorm. You're not gonna be able to see subtle abnormalities with white on white. White on gray is much easier for us to detect. So we catch those cancers at a smaller stage and an earlier stage in patients who don't have breast 
dense breast tissue because we can see it better. We can see it smaller. The other reason is that there's just more of it. A woman who has more fibroglandular tissue is going to have an increased risk of that fibroglandular tissue getting cancer. So it's not just that we're, we're not seeing it. It's also that there's more of it to potentially cause problems down the road. I think that's a really great explanation, Adri. The question I get asked all the time is, can I do ultrasound or MRI instead of mammography? And the answer is no. Ultrasound and MRI are great supplements to mammography, but at the end of the day, nothing can replace mammography. I always tell my patients, if you're going to choose one, please stick to mammography if you have dense breast tissue. Mammography really is the workhorse because we catch the largest amount of cancers using screening mammograms. And then, like you said, Carr, like ultrasound is icing on the cake. We know that, you know, we will get more cancers in women with dense breast tissue if we then send them on to ultrasound. You know, as we've discussed, mammography is not a perfect test. Certainly it has its limitations, but mammography quality has improved over time. So we started back in the 70s with film mammography and we uh, progressed to digital, digital mammography. And now we're using digital breast tomosynthesis, tomosynthesis or 3D mammography. And that really helps minimize the appearance of overlapping tissue and um, it's been shown to improve cancer detection and lower false positive callback rates. I always recommend that people should get 3D uh, mammography, especially if they have dense breast tissue or this is their baseline study, but really all women benefit from 3D mammography. You know, while we have people's attention, I really want to use this time to really talk about the importance of prior films, whether it be for mammograms, CAT scans, MRIs. It's always really important to bring in any prior studies that you've had elsewhere. Carly, tell us more about why that's important. What we do on a daily basis when we read screening mammograms is we often look at the prior mammograms to see if there's a change. So if a woman moves across the country from your facility to my facility, it's so important for them to bring the old mammograms. Why is that the case? It's because your tissue has a unique pattern, right? And so if your tissue has some unique sort of overlapping tissue in one spot, and you guys for the past 10 years have seen it and even maybe worked it up, maybe they came back to Cooper and you guys did an ultrasound of the area. I don't want to then have your patient have a repeat ultrasound. It costs money for the patient. It costs time for the patient. So, so this is why it's so important. Now, I think the problem with the patients not bringing their prior imaging is it, it takes some effort, right, for them to do it. Um, but also, I don't know if you've ever booked a mammogram, but they are like, there's like 10 questions that the um, schedulers have to ask the woman, do you feel something? Have you ever had cancer? You know, is this a screening mammogram? What insurance do you have? So by the time the scheduler gets to the question of, do you have any prior mammograms? The woman who's booking it, like me, let's say, is so frustrated. They're like, just give me my appointment, right? And so that's one of the most important parts is let's get that old mammogram so that when I'm reading the Cooper, the old Coopers, I know that that dense piece of tissue was nothing. You guys have already worked it up. You know, it was actually nothing. And it saves everyone time. And I think that it's just that a lack of understanding of how important it is to get the prior mammogram. 
Yeah, so all radiology departments have file rooms, and if you submit a request, you can pick up a CD, and um, it's tremendously helpful for all future breast imaging, and it also decreases your chance of getting called back. It decreases your chance of getting a biopsy. I mean, we, we are really cooking with fire when we have priors. And on the flip side, we actually, and this is something we know in our field, unfortunately, we have a higher callback rate for patients on their baseline mammogram, their first mammogram, because we don't have that comparison to say, yes, this is stable. Yes, this is not new. Um, so, so we know that you know baseline mammograms, unfortunately, will have a slightly higher callback rate compared to someone who's getting their routine annual and has had priors. Yeah, definitely a good take home from this episode is to bring in prior imaging, whether it's mammography or CTs, everything, you know, and radiology is about comparisons. You know, for the young woman, the 40-year-old who's getting her first mammogram, if she gets called back, you know, try to relax. That's the hardest thing. I think the biopsy is like less scary than the callback, a woman waiting. And you know what's unfortunate because of COVID, I'm sure you're dealing with it, is the callback wait time is just very extensive right now because we're just trying to catch up. And that must be really hard for the patient. And I want to apologize to every woman who has to wait for their call, for their diagnostic mammogram. The waiting is hard. I, I will, and, and this is where that whole scanxiety thing that we talk about and anxiety comes into play. The waiting is hard. I also want to mention that screening, screening mammograms are done on asymptomatic women. So if you have um, if you have a lump or you have you know pain or discharge, that should be a diagnostic study. And Carly, can you tell us a little bit more about what a diagnostic examination is like? Diagnostic mammogram is unfortunately you're called back because we see something. Um, and what a diagnostic mammogram is is we take extra views of that specific area. Now these extra views can be magnification views using specific technology or spot compression views using another technology. There's a lot of different technologies. So you might feel the regular way you get your mammogram is a little bit different. The technologist might move you in different positions. Um, and then oftentimes in a diagnostic workup, you'll also get another imaging um, modality such as ultrasound, which is the most common. Sometimes with mammogram and ultrasound, we don't find everything or know everything we need, and we have to move on to MRI, which is another imaging technology that we have in our armamentarium. And those are really our three big ones. And I think this is actually a good time to just give a brief overview of BIRADS, because so BIRADS stands for Breast Imaging Reporting and Data System. And at the end of each exam, we the radiologist will give a BIRAD. So BIRAD zero means we need more information. And either it's abnormal or we need your old films or something that we need more information. BIRADS one and two are essentially normal mammograms. Uh, BIRADS three is probably benign. So um, there are certain... There are certain things that fall into that category based on our BIRADS, you know, lexicon, our BIRADS uh, manual, but it means it's probably benign. It says it's a less than 2% chance of cancer. So in that scenario, people would be followed every six months for two years um, unless it proves itself one way or another. Like if it starts growing, then we would biopsy it, or if it goes away, then we might be able to bless it. Um, a BIRADS-4 means it's suspicious. It needs a biopsy. The chance of that being cancer is anything between 2 to 95%. So it's a very, very wide range. BIRADS-5 means it's highly suspicious, like greater than 95% chance of cancer. And so that's an instance where, you know, this is coming out regardless. Um, if I give a BIRADS-5 and it comes back normal, you're saying, I don't buy it. This needs to come out. 
And a BIRAD-6 means that you have known malignancy. So if you're getting new adjuvant treatment and we're following it, that would be a BIRAD-6. That, that's a great explanation, Rob. And I think it also brings up um, discordancy, which, you know, with every biopsy that we perform, we're always asking, does the pathologist report match up with the imaging report? And those two have to be in sync with each other. And if one thing looks benign and one thing comes out suspicious, then we upgrade and we end up cleaning out the area with something called an excisional biopsy. So we basically say, you know what, maybe we didn't get enough tissue. Um, we were expecting, quite honestly, to see cancer and we didn't get that. doesn't mean you have cancer, but it means you have to have a breast surgeon kind of get a larger biopsy sample and you have to go to surgery potentially. So whenever that discordancy happens, we always send the patient to a breast surgeon to discuss kind of a, a slightly more extensive biopsy, an excisional biopsy. I think that's a great breakdown. And, you know, another thing I wanted to talk about is what happens when you get a mammogram? What are the likelihood that it's going to be abnormal or that you'll need a biopsy Adrian, walk us through that scenario. So picture 100 women in a room. They all get their screening mammogram. They, 90 of those 100 women will get a letter in the mail saying, everything looks good, see you in a year, unless you come sooner for any sort of breast issue, such as a lump or discharge or pain. So now we got 10. We have 10 abnormal mammograms where the radiologist has another question that he or she needs to ask. The picture might look different this year. There might be a new calcification. There might be something that we just need to get more information on. Doesn't mean there's cancer, just means we can't give it a negative blessing yet. So that was 10% of people. Yeah, so now we got 10 people in the room. Right. 90, pe 90 people have left. What happens next, Dr. Roth? All right, so of these 10 people who come on the day of their diagnostic mammogram, 60% or six of them are going to be told that everything's okay, nothing to worry about. We were just seeing overlapping tissue. It was just a cyst. Everything is fine. Come back in a year. So now we're down to four. We've right. got four women left from okay. our 100. All right. So two of those women are going to need a biopsy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So unfortunately, a lot of times we can't tell between a benign mass and a cancer on imaging. And that's why we have to do a biopsy. But the good news is that of the biopsies we recommend, 75 to 80% of them will be benign. So that means only about 20% of biopsy recommendations that we give end up being cancer. So that's some good news, some reassurance for someone who, needs a who has a biopsy recommendation. Most of the biopsies we do will not be cancer. So unless the imaging appearance is highly suspicious, most of the time the biopsies we do are gonna be benign. Um, there is a third category or a third option when you come in for your diagnostic imaging. There is a category called BIRADS-3, or it's probably benign. And that is a certain set of circumstances that is defined by our um, radiology handbook. So a BIRADS-3 means that it's probably benign. And what we're telling you is that it's a less than 2% chance of cancer. So what we do in that scenario is that we follow you every six months for two years until 
Um, the area in question is either documented to be stable for two years and then we bless it, or if at any time during that two-year follow-up period it changes or becomes more suspicious, then we'll go ahead and biopsy it. So we hope that's a helpful overview of what happens when 100 women get their mammogram. 10% will be called back. Um, and of those 10 women, two of them will need a, will need a biopsy, and about eight, 75 to 80% of those biopsies will be benign. There have been so many times, and I know you've probably had these experiences too, where either a friend or a family member has called really upset about a abnormal mammogram. Right. Um, but statistically speaking, even if you have an abnormal mammogram, you probably don't have cancer. Right. It just needs to be worked up and um, and basically ruled out. Yeah. So I think we should bring up the um, the age-old question of who needs an MRI. This seems to be different across the board between breast surgeons, radiologists, even insurance and co companies have their opinion about who needs a breast MRI and who who doesn't qualify for one. I like to think of it in terms of the screening population and then the diagnostic population. So in terms of the screening population, anyone who has an elevated lifetime risk of breast cancer, greater than 20% would benefit from a breast MRI. So some here are some reasons that someone would be high risk for breast cancer. So they may ha have a known genetic mutation such as BRCA or P53, and they're untested first degree relatives. So let's say your mom is BRCA and you haven't been tested yet, then you should be considered a BRCA and you should be getting treated as, as such. Um, so some other reasons, um, if, if you had chest or mantle cell radiation at a young age, that would be a reason. Um, if you had a personal history of breast cancer and dense breast tissue, or those diagnosed with premenopausal breast cancer. And also, if you've had a history of atypia or you know you're high risk based on other risk factors, all of those are good reasons to get a screening MRI in addition to your mammogram. MRI cannot replace mammography. It's an additional supplemental imaging modality, and that improves our cancer detection rate in women who are high risk. So one of the most common reasons that people would get an MRI is if they're newly diagnosed with breast cancer and it is performed as a staging study because MRI is a much more sensitive imaging modality. So it really helps us pick up additional areas of cancer that we might have missed with just mammography and ultrasound. Also, sometimes the breast cancer is large and in order to improve surgical outcomes, the, the, the breast cancer team will do something called neoadjuvant chemotherapy, where they give chemotherapy in order to shrink the cancer prior to going to surgery to um, improve surgical outcomes. So your team might order um, a breast MRI in the beginning before starting chemotherapy, and then again at the end of chemotherapy prior to surgery to make sure that the tumor has responded. So that's really another big reason why people get breast MRI. So Carly, you recently turned 40. Um, did you have your baseline mammogram? I had a very interesting breast history. I had a palpable mass when I was 29 in residency. And so I got a mammogram. Oh, no, I was 30. I got a mammogram because you usually get them when you're 30. And I got an ultrasound. We couldn't see anything. I definitely felt it. My boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, felt it. Um, and a couple of breast surgeons felt it. So we actually which is not what we've been talking about. We went for a surgical excision. It ended up being this benign entity called sclerosing adenosis, which was forming kind of like this palpable ball. And so I had my mammogram already. So 
Well, you also bring up another excellent point, which is the palpable lump that we don't see on the mammogram and we don't see on the ultrasound and we're scratching our heads. So these patients will get a BIRADS-1. They'll get a negative mammogram and a negative ultrasound, but it doesn't mean we're done there. We always have patients follow up clinically either and oftentimes with a breast surgeon, although not always, someone who is comfortable with a breast exam basically and can tell whether an area of palpable concern feels abnormal or normal on the clinical breast exam. So in your case, you felt it, the mammogram and the ultrasound was negative, but you knew something was there, so you had to act on it. And that is always why we send patients for follow-up who have a palpable lump, even if the mammogram and the ultrasound is negative. Thank God you had sclerosing adenosis, but sometimes there are cancers that we know about, like invasive lobular cancer, for example, that we just don't see on the mammogram and the ultrasound. And unfortunately, we're at a loss. We kind of have blinders on, but we know that a lump is enough to keep going and have you evaluated by either a breast surgeon or someone who can do a clinical breast exam. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important topic. So, you know, if you have a palpable lump with a negative mammogram and negative ultrasound, the risk of it being cancer is less than 4%. It's not zero. So, you know, I always tell patients, like, if you have a lump that continues to grow or get harder, don't ignore it. We have to do something else. We would send you to a breast surgeon, and depending on their level of concern, they may do a surgical biopsy where they just take out the tissue or possibly order an MRI. Yeah, so this is really our public service announcement that you should not ignore any lumps that um, you know don't resolve or just feel different to you. So this has just been such a fun episode, being able to catch up with my breasties, my bridesmaids. Carly, huge thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Also, listeners, thanks for tuning in. So we hope you took something away from this episode to help you with early breast cancer detection. And we are wishing you a happy and healthy holiday season. Until next time, let's be breasties. If you like what you heard or learned something new, please make sure to leave us a five-star review and subscribe. I've literally always wanted to say that and share with your friends. Make sure you check back every two weeks for more great content. We've got some incredible guests coming up and you won't want to miss them. And follow the Booby Docs across all social media platforms for more of the breast information.